0: Some Mondays are more special than other Mondays. So, right off the top, you see him there right in the middle of our screen. That's Carter Braxtonworth. Swizzle here, Dan Nathan on the far right. By the way, Dan is playing hurt today. You'll hear it in his voice. But you know what he said? I got to be here for Market Call. Well done, Dan. This is Market Call. I'm going to say 30 minutes on the clock, but pff, what do I know? Um, today's episode of Market Call brought to you by FactSet, financial data and analytics that are powered by tomorrow. And we are powered by our production partner, Open Exchange, Uh, for you Met fans out there that went to Shea. And by the way, really poor showing, not a sellout on a on a basically a basically a game seven of a playoff. I mean, come on, a deciding game and you decided to stay home. Losers. Anyway. Hi, Dan. Hi, Carter. How
1: are you?
2: Hello, How are you? So, Dan, what did you do to yourself? I don't know, just just probably three
1: just consecutive weeks of being out every night. So I'm, I'm you, you know, I'm coming back around though. We'll we'll see this thing. I mean, listen, you know, guy, you said to me earlier you couldn't have been happier about your Giants. You mm-hmm. know, the only mm-hmm. thing that would have made that Sunday better for you is if the Jets had yes. lost two with the Mets, which I think is is really funny. But it um it is. hey, look, let's let's we gotta get into this, and this is one of the reasons we definitely wanted Carter here from the get-go. This feels like watching a slow moving like yeah. train wreck or something like that, because, you know, we all thought off that bounce that we had last Monday, Tuesday, maybe we'd see five, 10 percent or something like that. It was five percent and then lights out new lows. You got it.
0: I mean, you called it and you said it. Um, I, th- I want to say, I don't know, it's like two weeks ago or so on Fast Money. I mean, the, all the days will sort of blend, but. Some of the most fierce rallies are in bear markets, and you basically saw it in spades uh, earlier last week. But there's a great album, Dan. I know you're a huge Pink Floyd guy, 1975. Wish you were here. And I bring this up, Dan, because uh, remember when you were young, uh, you shone like the sun, shine on you crazy diamond. And Jamie Diamond, obviously a little bit of different spelling, but I took license here. He's basically telling us everything, Dan, that you and I have been saying Carter's work has suggested now for quite some time, and it's really just manifesting itself and synthesizing in some of these comments.
1: Yeah, well, well, I definitely want Carter's take here. Carter, do you remember back in June when Jamie Dimon said that an economic hurricane may be coming? And I do think it's interesting that JP Morgan is expected to report their Q3 earnings on Friday morning, along with a whole host of other big money center banks. And the fact that this interview with CNBC, I think it was somebody in Europe, comes out just days before it. And you know, for a CEO of a bank to kind of make those sorts of comments about the stock market i just Mm -hmm. think that's really interesting thoughts carter on when you have a big ceo like this come out you know days before a hotly anticipated earnings release
2: yeah i mean a couple things obviously his role in being not only a ceo of a big bank but the biggest bank right is is important but there's a bit of license i think he can take in the sense that when people ascend to the head of wells fargo bank america or any big c bank they've Work through the ranks. This is a little bit different, right? This was the heir apparent all along from Jamie Dimon, and uh, excuse me, from Sandy Weil. and and he is almost his own thing. He's sort of the banker, right? He's the mm-hmm. J. P. Morgan of his era, and everybody else is not to say they're lesser men or women, but they don't have the standing he has. And so I think he doesn't have to worry at all about what his board might think or what have it, uh, what have you. So uh, it's an important and candid comment, and it has to be respected at face value.
0: No question about it, and again, these are it, this is effectively a reiteration of some of the things that he's been saying. But you know, he's not one to speak in hyperbole. He obviously knows that the comments he makes are going to have impact on markets, and people will take. He knows that CNBC will run with this stuff. So I don't think I'm not suggesting he does any of these things lightly. And again, a lot of these things he's been saying, Dan, are a literal. I'm not saying he watches Market Call or yeah. listens on the tape or Fast Money, but some of the things we've been trying to hammer home for quite some time. And here we are. And he says the next 20%, if we were to get another 20% lower, which by the way, would take us below 3000 in the S and P would be more painful. The first, I don't know what the, see, that's an interesting comment. I don't know what more painful means, Yeah. but I think what he's saying, and I'm not trying to read between the lines here. I think what he's saying is it might be a lot faster. And in our world, speed like that is extraordinarily scary.
1: Yeah, well, maybe Carter can speak to this a little bit. I mean, think about large pockets of risk in the stock market have been correcting for well over a year. The S&P topped out, what, in the first week of the year. Mm -hmm. So we're nine months into this bear market here. Carter, thoughts on, you know, like again, we could go back to 2000. That was two years, 2007 to, you know, early 2009. It was about a year and a half or so thoughts on like the length that we're in right now because guy makes a really good point does does pain in Jamie Diamond's mean that things are about to accelerate you know we've heard this term a lot about how orderly the sell off has been this year you know especially after we had a very orderly 28% rise in the S&P 500 last year are we likely to see a bit of a crescendo which would equal pain
2: well, that's what the, the conventional wisdom is that you had some sort of capitulation. Mm-hmm. And independent of what that day is or what that looks like, we all know what it looks like. It's shocking down and a lot of red. Um, you could just feel it. There's not the fear, the the panic. There's nothing palpable about it. It's just, all right, you know, it's been a bad year, but, you know, wait till next year. And, oh, we could bounce here. We could make a double bottom. There's no, I, I listen, I can tell you from my conversations with, again, I would say every uh, large mutual fund company you can think of, every hedge fund, every pension plan, uh, every endowment—I mean, literally—and you know, people are taking measures. That's their job. They're they're prudent, but uh, there's no real fear.
0: No, I agree with that, and I've said a number of times, Dan. I know you know this—the the panic that I've seen over the last—I yeah. don't know—since January, February. To me, except for maybe one or two down days, has been to the upside, and it's happened a number of times. I mean, it happened to me that buying you saw on Monday and Tuesday when the S&P was effectively up, I want to say over 200 handles over the course of that time. I mean, the Dow was up close to 1,000 points. To me, that sort of reeked of you know people saying, I, I want to be in, I want to call the bottom, Fed's going to acquiesce. And that, to me, reeked of panic. But let's take a look at some of the things. FactSet provided with a great slide that maybe we can speak to. Just some of the things that are moving, some of the things that make sense don't make sense. Carter, I know you do extraordinarily thoughtful work, but you look at this, Dan, and and what is it telling you here on a day where the s and is probably down about a percent
1: or so right now. Well, it's telling me that tech is leading to the downside. Mega cap tech, look at Microsoft down 3%. I mean, that is a dramatic move. Amazon down 2%. That's a stock that is still 10 15% or so off of its June lows. I think, you know, Apple is outperforming. We talk about where the safe havens in this market. It continues to be out Apple on days like this. I mean, yes, there was, oh, down 4% day, I think, last week or so. But it's just interesting to see when you see Treasuries acting the way they do, mm-hmm. um, you know you just see money going into Apple. So you know correlations seem to be picking up, going to one here, and I think that's kind of interesting. And then some of these names that you know, like look at the individual names. You know, like a win is down like twelve percent today. You know, and so to me, I, it doesn't seem like there's too many places to hide. Um, Carter, I'd love to get your take. You know, you you updated some of your S and P charts here. We talked about how just really short-lived that really sharp rally was early last week. How's that making you think about, you know, again, I know that we all thought maybe we get to 3950, 4,000, the S and 500. Didn't happen. We're at new lows. What is that telling you week over week for right now for the S and Right.
2: So the if you think about sequencing and what behavior is, when you approach a prior important level, let's think about breakouts, a stock, currency index that gets back to a former high, typically before it can exceed that high, it backs and fills there, contends with it, and then breaks out. The reciprocal is the case when you get back to a former low, we're at the June lows, you typically will back and fill. You don't just crash right through, but then you do go through. Here, for instance, this is on the screen, right? You can see this is a very short term. It's um, middle of June to middle of October. You can draw the lines this way. You can draw them as as a head and shoulders. It doesn't matter what you want to call it but what we know you have here is a is a setup that history reveals more often than not is lower prices
0: let's continue to look at some of these charts because again we've had the bounces we don't have the moving averages here but you can almost visualize them given the lines you drew but let's continue to sort of go down this because that to me is one of the scarier ones that you've drawn and again head and shoulders and stuff but what does this suggest in terms of I guess the move, the measured move, we yeah, like to talk I mean, about.
2: <laughs> Were you to take a measured move here, you're getting down into the into the low three thousands. And I think if you look at this longer term thing, this is a uh, this is a good one to sort of zero in on. There, there's no real support. And again, valuation is a very gray thing. Uh, why can the market be 18 times or 16 times or 12 times or 22 mm-hmm. times? But what we do know is you switch the lines here. Let's do the next one and toggle. I mean, look at the next chart with sort of the green lines. Let's go back and forth. It's the same chart. It's just a different way to draw lines, but Mm -hmm. all roads point lower. Uh, How much lower? I think I've got a final one here, if you pull it back even further. And that would be a minimum, uh, a level to consider. That's right. Right? There's not a lot of support at the COVID high. It's just a reference point, it's one day in time. But 3390 is that level. That'd be about 6% down from here. You do that in an afternoon.
0: Yeah, no question. And listen, that thirty look—I'm rounding, but you're thirty-three ninety exact. But that thirty-four hundred level, Carter, is the number that we've been throwing out. I want to say since January, February, and I think people were somewhat quizzical at the time when the S and P was trading anywhere between forty-six hundred and forty-eight hundred. There was no way whatsoever that, given the market they've seen for the last decade or so, that was going to happen. Yet you know, here we are. And I think a lot of people come into the way of thinking, but there was a, you know, you talk about this all the time. I want you to talk about it for a minute, a change in trend, a change in trend and how powerful that is, especially when it changes a trend that was in place for a decade and how that duration, when that changes, don't dismiss how powerful the subsequent move can be. Can you speak to that?
2: Well, that's right. We're all uh, subject to what they call recency, right? You, mm-hmm. You've had such a recent good time, not you personally, you generically in the market, that one thinks, oh, this can't last, it's 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 all good, and you, you start to believe that. We're all prone to making that mistake. But we've had a great and enduring ascent, and the descent is young and nascent. It's only, again, it's it's about 13 months, right? Because actually, it's important to remember this, the, the January 4th high, S&P making a high of all time. On January 4th, the high, half of all stocks in the S&P 500 had already lost 20%. Mm -hmm. That is the great message of breath. The market was signaling, I'm in deep trouble. I'm being held up by Babe Ruth and Michael Jordan, a few champions, but the team is really in trouble. And now we're seeing it.
1: Yeah, and, and I guess that's the story of late last year. It was like stocks were already correcting except for about 15 that made up this disproportionate weight of the S&P 500 and the Nasdaq. And maybe we sounded like the boys that were crying wolf, but never in our careers has that been able to maintain itself with so much underperformance under the hood, you know, and especially when we thought and guy, you talk about that trend, the, the trend change in the charts what really happened right when the fed shifted course with monetary policy so you know again we've also been harping on how do you get to that pre-pandemic high in the s&p 500 of 3400 we've been saying well one way is to get a lesser multiple on the s&p earnings and then have a i guess a more logical expectation of where earnings are going to be right and so we've seen them come down over the course of this year We think you don't get capitulation until you have most of these very bullish strategists who started the year with 5,500 targets on the S&P 500, lower their estimates, we had Mike Wilson on On the Tape on Friday with Danny, uh, Moses, Guy, and myself. And, you know, his base case for 2023 earnings for the S&P 500 is 212. He thinks it leads to its bearish case. Savita Subramanian over at Bank America this morning, she publishes $200. So you tell us, where does the S&P 500 multiple trough at? Is it 14 or 15? Well, that gets you 2800 or 3000 Now, what, that's let's that's thread it. the needle real quickly, Guy. we no, Uj- With with Jamie Dimon, what he's saying, down 20%. I mean, when you think about all of that, right, we need to have, um, you know, and and the potential for a recession in six to nine months. If we get to 2,800 quickly, well, then the stock market is going to start discounting the recession that hasn't happened yet, but it will start reflecting a trough multiple and more realistic S&P earnings expectations going forward.
0: I think that's right. What's the right, again, this is something we've been saying for a while. Now, more and more people seem to coming around this way thinking like what is the right multiple, the amount you'll pay for a dollar's worth of earnings. So it just becomes a math problem. And I think a lot of us said for a long time that that 23 times ish that the market peaked at, I mean, that was this couple standard deviations away from the norm. And I'll say we remain at those levels for quite some time. Now we're seeing the other side of the equation. And even at current levels, we're trading a pretty much a historic market multiple, which leads one to believe that you can then have the Uh, knee-jerk to the other way as well, right? The pendulum will swing towards the other way. So again, I don't know what's right. Low teens, 14, 15. But again, on $200 worth of earnings, even if you discount it out to the next year's earnings, and maybe we get a little bump in earnings, you're still talking about an S&P 500 that could literally trade down to 3,000 and and be fair value. And And I'll just, real quick, I'll just say this, you know, You have to look at this through that lens, even if the Fed were to pivot and or pause whatever you want to say, it still comes down to earnings growth, Dan, and what are you willing to pay for those earnings? So you might get that initial knee jerk higher if this Fed were somehow to acquiesce. But I think it's going to be short lived because we are in an earnings recession. I'm not smart enough to tell you if we're in an economic recession. Quite frankly, I don't even know if it matters. Because for a lot of people, we've not only been in a recession, we've probably been a bit of a depression for the last few years. I mean, that's another conversation for another time. I don't know what changes if all of a sudden they come out and say, yes, we are officially in one. But what I will tell you is the earnings recession is real. And more and more people, Dan, are coming away that coming around to
1: that way of thinking. Well, I mean, listen, we we talked about this late last week on Market Call when AMD had that pre announcement. I mean, that revenue guidance down 1.1 billion on a 6.7 billion number for the quarter that they had re- uh, uh, they had reiterated in early November here. So we got to talk a little bit about the headlines mm-hmm. as it relates to semiconductors because you know the Biden administration is taking a very firm stance on you know the export of our kind of. Advanced advanced chip technology to the chinese this comes at a time where we already know that there's been you know some really difficult supply demand dynamics of supply chains over in china zero covid that sort of thing and you know you couldn't get enough chips you know late last year right and now it seems like you know mm-hmm. all the double ordering lots of you know um inventory builds here and these things as they overshot to the upside late last year they're overshooting to the downside and carter you know these are our charts we threw together on the smh the etf the tracks the socks and philadelphia semiconductor etf i think obviously you're very familiar with that you see that downward sloping 150-day moving average that we use on days that you were on here as an homage to you. You see that we broke those June lows. It looks like many of the major index charts here, but talk to us a little bit on a five-year basis. I mean, this thing really is a huge technical break here. And again, the fundamentals just don't, don't they're not gonna bottom this quarter Carter.
2: Right, so it's this exact same setup as every major index, just as you uh, pointed out. So we have the June low, we have the money, that pushes the market higher, this is it, the lows are in, that money gets trapped, August it peaks, we make a new low and the sequences are intact. And in in this instance, if you do look at the longer term chart, just to get to the pre-COVID level, you're talking about 18% lower from here. So just to go back to, and there's no real support there, but it's just a reference point, the pre-COVID high means 18% lower for the SOX, six plus minus percent lower for the S&P.
0: Let's take a look at Nvidia, uh, because this was Dan. I know you know this. I mean, this was the poster child for so many different things. Was the next? Excuse me. Was going to be the next trillion dollar company, and I got to tell you something. In November, December, uh, it got really close. But that stock is now effectively more than cut in half. And we're talking about a company whose market cap. If I'm, I probably should look, but I bet you it's south of. 300 billion dollars and you can start to do that math and you know it's interesting and i know exactly what you mean when you said overshoot to the downside you know we overshot to the upside we're about to do that same to the downside the reality is dan and you can speak to this because you've done it for months it's not really an overshoot i mean these are just finding levels that historically make sense in terms of valuation i mean they're they're not bad companies they're bad stocks, but they're not bad companies. And, you know, they're finding levels that, again, in terms of historic norms, what people want to pay for, you know, price to revenue, price to any of those yeah. metrics, we're getting to levels where again, we probably should have been all along.
1: Right, and this is why we spent so much time harping on what analysts are defending as, as it relates to their estimates and what inputs they're using for margins and, and you know, all the stuff that goes into kind of what multiple they're willing to assign to this company based on their growth. And NVIDIA is a really interesting one right now, even down 67% from its highs last November, the stock trades at 33 times earnings and about 10 and a half times sales. And it's just still an astounding number. And to your point, Guy, it's $286 billion market cap right. down nearly 70%. So the stock probably sees 100, it, it could break. If you look at that kind of level, The break breakout level from 2020, you know, that is somewhere around 90 bucks or, or, you know, it was $100 there, but there's support down there at 90. And just real quickly on the AMD, because this is the one that has the news out. And I think we we reminded our viewers last week that just because AMD pre-announced that revenue number doesn't mean when they report earnings in a couple of weeks that they won't miss their earnings number and they won't guide lower. So, you look at this chart and you see what that support is you say to yourself there's room to the downside Carter." any quick thoughts i know that they look a lot like the smh and they were two of the leaders any quick thoughts on, on amd and nvidia here
2: just free to move lower i mean that's the nature of it momentum's a powerful thing on the way up and on the way down and you uh, stocks that are in downtrends have the same momentum characteristics of any asset that it's an uptrend but the real takeaway really if you were to pull your chair back and not even know what it is it's the cult of equity i mean equity you own nothing that's the point you own not your bond holder okay you have some claims on some assets the cult of equity it's like well i think it's worth this meaning the underlying business of your local privately held businesses in whatever neighborhood a person lives in they don't fluctuate like this stocks get overpriced and they get sort of overpriced the wrong way underpriced and finding out the true level over a 10-year period real easy This week, this hour, this year, it's nothing to do but money flow and charts.
0: That's right. I agree with you. Listen, and these are the reason, by the way, and I'm not saying this just to sort of blow smoke, but I was with somebody over the weekend who I hadn't seen in a while, and he pulled me aside, and he said, I want to tell you um, if it wasn't for Carter's work and to a certain extent what Dan and I have been doing, but specifically you, you know, he said some of his portfolios up anywhere from 65 to 80%, solely listening and watching and listening to some of the things that you've been saying. So you should feel that I'm your humble. work, you know, it's more than just one person, but effectively this one person owes a debt of gratitude to you and your work is important and the charts speak for themselves and that's not meant to be glib. I'll say this, I watched the Met game last night and I had a giant frickin' smile on my face the entire time. I'm unabashed in my hatred of the franchise, but something happened that reeked of desperation in the sixth inning. Buck Showalter came out and told the umpires to take a look at Musgrove's um, ear. He thought he was doctoring the baseball. That move reeked of desperation, but maybe he needed to do it at the time. I mention that because Kathy Wood uh, sent an open op-ed letter to the Federal Reserve that, what, Dan, reeks of desperation, and again, not to get on her, but I'll say this, and I've said it before. It's virtually impossible to be as wrong as she's been over the course of the last year. I mean, stocks, the majority of a portfolio down anywhere from 50 to 75, 80%, and now Tesla seemingly rolling over. So I don't know what to tell you. I mean, yeah. ARK Innovation, as I've said a number of times, Dan, and I'm not looking to, you know, Single her out. But the most innovative thing about the ARC ETF was the inverse ARC ETF that seemingly came out of nowhere a year or so ago.
1: It's not that she's been so wrong on so many of these names and really. Like just, it's that she hasn't given up on any of them, you know, mm-hmm. and and so that's part of you know what do we do here? We talk about kind of what expectations are for different stocks, for different sectors. Um, we talk about sentiment. We talk about valuation. We talk about inputs like you know uh, interest rates and all the stuff that goes into it. She has been wrong. She hasn't sold out of any of the when I say out, meaning like closed a position. She keeps talking innovation, innovation, innovation. Our friend Porter Collins of Seawolf. Did you see his tweet? He quote tweeted. That um, that open letter and said please. Short me. That's what that screams to the Twitter-verse, you know, in a way. And Carter, you wanted to kind of take another look at the ARC, because we talked about it, I think about a week ago, and we felt that it really, they just looked like it was about to die. And if you looked at some of the components in it, they are dying. And then the fact that, you know, this Tesla finally broke that long-term uptrend that you've been highlighting for a while. So walk us through the ARC complex, because I think anecdotally, and everything we hear from her and see from her and see in tweets and see in open letters, It just speaks to the fact that like this thing is pretty much done.
2: Well, that's right. They always say stay in your lane or stay with your core competency. Once you start writing letters to people about things that are not in your core competency, whatever that might be, and I don't know anything about her, um, you know there's something. Uh, Just two things, though, innovation. (laughs) There's always innovation. I mean, uh, the, the notion that somehow this is a more innovative period and we'll look at the charts, but it's very important to say this. When you're sitting there and they invent uh, the film and you can see your own image, wait a minute, this is a picture of me. This is incredible. I could take a picture of my dying mother and I'll have it forever. Before that, you had to be like Lion King, stare into the pond. That's innovation, yeah? And a Xerox, my God, I can make a copy instead of having the monks do it over and over and over, or the telephone, or I mean, the notion that there's more innovation in this moment than it is preposterous. You put that with the word arc, like mm-hmm. the biblical thing and you've got a, a pretty bad cocktail of i would say let's look at the chart <laughs> we're breaking trend that's the arithmetic take a look at the log so you can really see it we're breaching we can go as low as the imagination will allow i mean we're we're not even to the COVID low it looks as though we're there it's another 10 percent mm-hmm. just to get to that COVID low
0: and that can happen quick i mean obviously look we got to look at tesla the people say we're haters morgan stanley by the way made some comments on Tesla we'll look at in a second but first let's look at the chart and then we'll go to the Morgan Stanley comments because again charts breaking down here and I've said a number of times I mean very 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 quietly Tesla's down about 43 percent or so Dan is that right from its all-time high and you know stands to reason that in this environment that might have some more room as well
1: yeah it's so funny and you know again this is uh, you know so much enthusiasm and positive sentiment in this stock despite it being down 43% of the year has to do with Elon Musk and you know, the fact that he is, you know, the CEO and, and the richest man in the world, but the CEO of one of the largest market cap companies in the world, and he's about to overpay 20 or $25 billion for Twitter. Uh, you know, I kind of just wonder the, the lower this stock goes near term, like the likelihood that this deal doesn't get done. We've seen some equity people mm-hmm. um, who are going to provide equity to get this deal done. We've seen, you know, the debt that um, a bunch of banks are going to be on the hook for big losses because they committed to this debt back in April when he made the deal. I just wonder if this stock were really to take another leg lower and possibly retest that 206 and a half level, which was the 52 week low or possibly go lower. And based on fundamentals, guy you just mentioned it one of the biggest bulls on the name joe uh adam jonas at morgan stanley lowered his target had some cautious comments about margins saying peak margins that sort of thing so again you know carter we touched on this one last week you've been tracking this one for a while and you thought that not only near term you know did that kind of um, outperformance look like it was gonna break but we're also likely to see a break of a massive long-term trend
2: right so to be fair, right, in June, late June, when we were on trend there, uh, my thinking was we would break. We didn't. We bounced, but mm-hmm. here comes the break now. It just was, as they say, postponed, but deferred, but not uh, not uh, saved. Well, Carter, of
1: other, oh, I'm sorry, Dave. Yeah, no, I was just going to say that, again, you know, Guy, you and I have been saying guess, some of those other top holdings, these are yeah. ones that if you had any risk management, like, you know, like, I, I don't know, set up, you know, you would have been out of these things. You would have said at a certain point, whether it was a Teladoc or a Roku or a Square. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Talk to us about some of these other names, because at this point, if you're Kathy and you still hold them and there's still large components of these ETF, do you sell them?
2: Very hard. I mean, we all have been there. Gosh, it's, you know, you the losses. And then once they get substantial enough, you're like, well, I don't want to if I dump it and then it rallies, I've real, I've got one mistake already. I've stayed too long. But if I'm the one that capitulates and then it bounces, I've really cooked myself. So then people dig in and then they say, I'll Enron this thing if I have to. I'll go all the way to zero with it. I don't want to be the guy that dumps it. I don't want to be the woman that dumps it. And then you're just in a bad. And that's why at the highest levels of finance and asset management, there are very rules-based approaches. They have stop losses, risk managers, and in fact, People force you to liquidate holdings in order to answer to the risk department.
0: Let's take a look at Zoom. I mean, again, not to sort of cherry pick, but, you know, this chart suggests that there's still some, all the things you're saying, right? I mean, the final capitulation is going to be down to the levels we saw, again, late 19, early 2020, and it makes a lot of sense. That's probably about 60 bucks. I mean, your lines, as they say, Draw themselves and real quick. Just look at Roku as well. You can comment on whatever you want, but this probably suggests even a more dramatic move. But those double tops in Roku, we flagged them. I know we did because we talked about it at the time. That that proven that proved to be correct. But speak to these names. I mean, Mm Roku is the one that really sticks out like a sore thumb.
2: Well, it's just such an unrelenting downtrend, and Mm -hmm. I guess we're when it's when it's the opposite. When it's an unrelenting uptrend, you. You you can very rarely convince oneself or others to trim. Let's, let's let's back away from this a little bit. But when it's going down, it's the opposite. You can very rarely convince someone to exit, and we all are prone to this. It's why they go further than the imagination will allow. It goes down, you say, it can't get any worse, and it does. You say it could never get worse now, and it does. It's, it's treacherous, and there's no there's no level. Those are just random lines. I've circled the. covid low and i've drawn a a horizontal line i said look we're below the COVID low anywhere you want to imagine it could go Mm -hmm.
1: yeah yeah talk about um you know uh, things that you thought were low enough and the sentiment had shifted let's look at the autos today because last week we were talking about gm and ford i think was a Goldman guy who upgraded uh or 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 somebody upgraded one of them you know big house and so today we actually have, you know, a downgrade to a sell in Ford. And you look at this thing here, it's sitting on these are our charts, but I just wanted you to kind of take a look at them here. Um, you know, that is the five-year chart of the Ford. That looks like at a kind of key long-term level here. And again, the enthusiasm just early this year in January for a Ford and a GM and where they are now. Speak to that a little bit, Carter. And then Guy, I'd love to get your take on, you know, just how poorly these. Businesses are running because of all of the supply chain um, issues that remain, and now we have the interest rate spike, which is making buying new cars, if you can get them, really difficult.
2: I mean, right? So just just to travel back to where we were three and a half months ago, I meaning where the stock is up over three and a half four months ago, right? And so just to get back to those June lows, which are around ten sixty or thereabouts, were what eleven twenty five or thirty day. That's yeah, that's a plenty of downside. And then my thinking, as is already being seen across the market, that many stocks are undercutting their June low, as is the index itself. And then constituents that haven't, like Ford, likely will.
0: Yeah, listen, I know that upgrade last week, you came on the show and you and I'm paraphrasing to a certain extent, but what you said was, you know, effectively, that's great. But your work suggested that these charts were broken and you were going to see further downside. And I didn't think it would happen in a week. Effectively, it happened in a week. And now you have analysts starting to acquiesce. And the reason I think, and listen, I felt guilty of that. And for a while, I was looking like a genius in Ford when it went from 14 to 28. But it's given it all back clearly. And here we are. You could have made a compelling case for Ford on valuation a hundred percent ago, and it still would have been a compelling story just through that prism, just through that metric. And again, at these levels, the same thing. But you know, I don't know what what that note effectively is saying is. You know, all that supply that wasn't that supply is going to come back in spades, and there's just not going to be demand for it. And again, companies that zig when they should zag, and unfortunately, the autos find themselves in that environment. So. You look at that chart and you say, if you want to play stock market here, that's one thing, but it suggests further pain to the downside. And so well done by you, Carter. And listen, that's it. You know, again, not looking to get on Kathy Wood, but it meant to be talked about. And today, Dan, aside from the Met debacle, and that was, you know, that's as bad as if you're a Met fan, you know, that's as bad as it gets. But the fact that Ben Bernanke uh, won the Nobel Peace Prize for economics based on the work the work that he did on banks in 08, 09. Are you freaking kidding me? I mean, he basically yeah. just took his garden hose out and flooded the environment. And yeah, and he's going to be heralded as some hero. The pain that we're feeling right now, and everybody's feeling the same pain, was a no, no small part due that some of the policies he's put in place and stayed with. And then he went off to do his great consulting job at citadel on his book tour it's embarrassing that i will never look at the nobel prize the same way based on that you want to let my ass go uh, at it people but you know that i'm right dan
1: it felt like an onion headline hey real quickly because we got a couple questions in the chats here about tlt right so that's the i shared sub 100 it's the treasury ETF here and i've been long the govt which is also um you know a treasury ETF though so if you're long that you're making a bet on yields going lower we know the bond market is closed today carter really quickly here on this one we've all been bullish tlt govt and really being contrarian this break is pretty nasty give us a give us an update on the technicals and then guy let's me and you just quickly talk about how we're trading the underlying
2: well, it shows as in the human condition when you try, I try all the time, say, Hey, this one's overdone. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's try to play it for a bounce. If this was just a stock, what case could be made yeah. for just stepping in today? And one could say, Yeah, but Carter, you made the case for stepping in exactly. And that's a mistake. There's nothing wrong with being wrong. It's only staying wrong. Mm-hmm. This thing is just working lower. Uh, I ultimately have a thesis, right, wrong, or different, that rates peak right dollar peaks and the market however doesn't take those as good things it takes as bad and we get our final uh all all things down uh scenario but um for now momentum is powerful and it's very clear bonds continue to go lower
0: yeah and dan i'll give you the final word but real quick you know my thought was exactly carter's i thought that 108 ish level would hold that was the two i want to say the 2018 lows we remember what happened back there and I thought yields would start go lower on the back of slower economic growth here in the States. And if the market, broader market were to sell off, I'd also thought you would see a flight to quality in the form of the TLT, which obviously would further push yields lower. That didn't happen. But to Carter's yeah. point, we're all wrong. There's nothing wrong with being wrong. The problem is, is when you stay wrong. So you got to adapt. Trading is being yeah. fluid. Now, with that said, how do you trade it? Well, You wait for some sort of capitulation and unfortunately I don't see it today.
1: Yeah, I, I just say this, and, and this has been my take and why I wanted to be a bit contrarian here. Um, you know, I really do think that the chat of what a pivot looks like or kind of taking their foot off the pedal is going to happen before that no second FOMC meeting. And I do think it was interesting in the Wall Street Journal over the weekend, and this is by Nick Timoros, who is like the, considered the Fed whisperer. Mm. The article read, Fed's inflation fight has some economists fearing and unnecessarily deep downturn. And I guess that sort of just kind of narrative is the thing that may cause the Fed to do what they're gonna do in November, but then maybe take their foot off the pedal. And I think that will be almost one year to the day when yields started going up meaningfully. Um, So to me, that's my trade, but it's part of a larger mosaic, you know, that I've been playing with some different themes in the market here. So I'm not all in like Kathy, this is not like a a 10% position in my arc or anything like that. This is one theme that I want to express a view in, and I'm trying to risk manage it. I'm wrong right now. If we get into that Fed meeting and what I think might happen doesn't happen, then I, I got yeah, to. it's
0: it's we're in. This is a fascinating. The next few weeks into the midterm election, and by the way, that's going to be here before you know it, going to be really fascinating. But hopefully, we're helping you navigate, folks. But thanks for joining us today's market call. Obviously, Carter, thanks for joining us for the entire. 37 minutes as I look at my clock. Want to thank FactSet, our sponsor. Obviously, I want to thank Open Exchange. Dan and I will be back tomorrow, 1 p.m. Eastern time. See you then.